Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Konga. Oh, sorry, I'm Ryan Hunt. The gulpy Ryan Hunt on the coffee. I was too quick. <laughs> you got to keep that in. You got to keep that in. And we're here to discuss the Stadio Derby, Manchester United against Arsenal. The first Stadio Derby. The first. How was your weekend, by the way? <laughs> it's better before than that. it was ruined better, by the Derby. Better than that game. My weekend was actually very good. It was very good. Actually, very good. Yeah, it's one of those burning house parties that just goes on forever. And it was five minutes from my front door. So it was great. I could stay out really late. It was really nice. I'm surprised you made it here. Yeah, but then... But then Tuesday. Also, you know, like every like couple of weeks, you have to have like a a cleanse where you just kind of like don't go out and just chill at home and just have a bit of a tide and a bit of writing and plan the week. And that was my Sunday. And it was very peaceful. That was before we went for a burger. That's right. That's true. Eagle-eyed viewers will have seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I demolished uh, an Oreo milkshake. I still can't believe you ordered it. I mean, that's how I, that's how I get down. So we went for a burger on Sunday night. We did. Friedrichshain. I texted you, didn't I, saying, do you want a burger? Do you fancy a burger and a beer? Went all in. So I ordered a beer and then Musa, the, the, the <laughs> bar woman asked Musa what, she, what he'd want to drink. And he was just like, Oreo milkshake. And I yeah. was like, are you crazy? Having pudding before... It was a calorie, but it's an absolute gut buster. I mean, it's a calorie. Carbs bonanza. on carbs on carbs on carbs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's good vibes. But yeah, it was a great meal. So my my weekend was very good. Um, started the week less so because of the game, which we'll get into. Oh, why is everyone hating on this game? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm a bit under the weather, by the way. Do you know what they're hating on the game? They're hating on the game because it confirmed what they feared. That's why they're hating on it. They're hating on it because it's the spectacle they expected. And there's nothing worse than being reminded of where you are. Serves them right for putting it on Monday night. I think the Monday, it's so funny because the game fitted the form. It was definitely a Monday night element or energy. Like who's going to rewatch that? Who's going to rewatch a game like that? Unless you're a tactical coach, there's nothing really to be derived. Unless you're like McTominay's family, <laughs> you're not going to rewatch that game. Fair. I mean, just to sort of really get into it directly. I actually made a slightly unfair comparison with this game. I compared it to the Milan derby of the yeah, Premier League. I can believe that. Which is unfair on Inter, actually. Yeah, Inter have conceded two goals this season. They're top of the league. It's unfair on Inter. I think historically, it's not a tie that is... It's a tie that's lost its relevance, I suppose I meant to say. It's a tie that's lost its, it's a tie that's lost its relevance. The Milan derby before was the... Those are the European heavyweights at one level. But now it's just a... It's it's a it's an it's a historical fixture. You can tell it's that grim because people talk about how it was ten fifteen years ago, and that's never a good sign. Mm, yeah, maybe. I think I put a tweet out asking fans, non Arsenal Manchester United fans, if they thought it was still a big game. A lot of the responses were like, you know, it's just cyclical, or it is kind of still a big game, but it's not as big as it was. And I think that's kind of natural. I think it's a high profile game. It's not a big game. It's a high profile game, but also I think that this current game last night. It was never going to be that good a game or that big a spectacle because I tweeted about this actually. I was because I said like I'm not really sure why people are so down on that game. Like everyone around the game, afterwards, commentators, Roy Keane, Roy Keane was like, "Why am I here on a Monday?" He was just, you know, I mean, he's kind of like that all the time anyway. To True, exactly, it's Roy Keane. But everyone just seems super, super just meh about the whole thing, and I didn't actually think it was that diabolical. If I was watching that as a neutral, I would have really enjoyed that game. There were so many borderline comical things that happened in the game that if they weren't done by a team you support, I would find really funny. And that's the problem with it, because it is the teams people support. And so you can't... Yeah, but not everyone supports Manchester United or Arsenal. Yeah, but the people that were invested in that game, the ones that really were 
most offended by the spectacle. Does that make sense? Because yeah. it just shows you how far you are from Liverpool and City. I remember when United... We yeah, played. but we know that though, Musa. Like we didn't need last night. The league tables over the last few years have told you that. I know we know that, but it's like when you've... No one likes being reminded of their own inadequacies or stuff they're doing wrong. It's a, it's a classic human thing. If you're doing something and you're like, yeah, this is a bit off, my behaviour is a bit shady. For someone to tell you about it, it compounds the misery. And that's the same with this, the public spectacle of your team being so far behind. It's one thing to know it, but to be reminded of it. It's, it's, but this is the thing, from. I don't want to come across like a real... Like I'm coming I mean, out punching come, here. Come across like, like, do it, do it, go on. No, bring it out. Let the, let the hate, good. Let the hate flow through Rilo you. Rilo Red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let the hate flow through you. <laughs> I'm a bit under the weather and I'm very grouchy, right? Go for I'm it. I'm more that... grouchy than Roy Keane. Go for it. Okay. No, that's, well, that's a big shot. But okay. I just think that it was almost like no one had watched Manchester United or Arsenal this season. No, I agree, I agree, I agree. What you, know, you don't need those two to play each other to be aware of the inadequacies amongst both teams. And I just think... Can I be a bit cynical? A little bit of performative rage from both sets of fans at some level. I wrote another tweet about this saying, you know, obviously hindsight is wonderful, but the personnel available to both squads and the context of the game, I think it just played out exactly how it was kind of going to play out. You know, United could not lose that game at all. And Arsenal could not lose that game. Hell no, given their record. At all. Yeah, yeah. If you simulated that game a thousand times with AI and algorithms, it would have come to one all probably nine hundred and ninety-five times. Like and the other and the other five times would have been a United, United win. win. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about it that that's so true. The funny thing about that game is you look at it and you knew what to expect. Pereira playing as a winger, he's never really produced much in that role. Lingard connecting midfield to attack, I mean, has done nothing in that role for the best part of two years. Pogba McTominay in a midfield access, I mean, mm. well, I don't think I don't think Pogba or Rashford looked fully fit, and you could tell that they'd been rushed back a little bit. I just think it, it's it's a it's a miserable configuration for United, and like I said, I mean, ten years away from being anything like a title challenger, but um. But also, I think both sides are just a million miles away, lineup-wise, what they're going to look like maybe in January. I think maybe more so Arsenal than Manchester United, but think, still, yeah. you know, Manchester United have got players out injured still. You know, Wan Bissaka was missing yesterday. Luke Shaw's out still. A similarity between Arsenal and Manchester United is actually how much they have missed a fullback when they're not there. You know, yeah, I've gone on true. about it quite a lot, but I think. I think the thing that's missing, and this is something that Clive mentioned on the Arsenal Vision podcast, is that the Arsenal first choice 11 at the moment doesn't really have many partnerships in it, you know? Yeah, right. Whereas the Carabao Cup side, you saw a lot of partnerships. Yeah. And I think that's something that's coming back to the first 11 because when Hector Bellerin went down against Chelsea, Arsenal didn't just lose their first choice right back or best right back. They lost a defensive asset. They lost a massive attacking asset and also the partnerships around him. So the partnership with the centre-back, the partnership with the player in front of him, the partnership with the centre midfielder. It's all of those things that you're losing in one go. You're not just losing one player. It's huge. This is something that you saw last night. You saw two sides. They're, they're too disjointed at the moment because they're missing key players who elevate them and elevate the players around them. And yeah, that sucks. Absolutely, but yeah. If the game had been like that with like everyone fit, first choice 11, 
you know, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Bellerin back, all of this kind of stuff. Everyone Alan, there. Alan Ramsey. Oh, sorry. Oh, hey, yeah, thanks, sorry. mate. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. Sorry. Thanks. Sorry. Yeah. I had to, I had yeah. Where's your Where's your Lukaku had to, now? Had to, eh? put, had to put some negativity in there. Oh, yeah. The analysis was too good. You know, sometimes people your boy are too... Romelu about to win Serie A. I was like, oh, Ryan's 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 so happy. Let me just put some negativity back in there. But I'm not happy. It's just like it's just I don't understand. <laughs> I'm kind of a little bit like, what's what did everyone expect from this game? I got what I wanted from it. I got what I wanted from it. Me fishing in Arsenal Twitter again. <laughs> no, I just like I just thought. I like games where the state of play becomes clear. You know, there are some games like defining performances and some defining performances are good, like, you know, Milan beating Barca 4-0 in the Champions League final or the European Cup final as it then was. And some games are bad. Like a defining performance for United is this. It's like, this is where we are now. This is who we are. Like, See, I think Watford away for Arsenal and West Ham away for Man United were way more defining than this one. Well, no, because what I mean is a bad result. I mean, the 2-0 was a dramatic result. It was... Grim, it was abject. But this is really like when you've got a thinned out squad, like United before with a thinned out squad in the old days would find a way to grind out a victory. And the fact that we have to play really well to win these days, you know, United have lost the ability to win games by a couple of goals while playing badly. They've lost that. And that, that is the defining aspect of like the great teams or even the very good teams. And to me, to see this, I'm like, actually... This gives me so much clarity. It's not all negative. Don't get me wrong. I think Harry Maguire has really shown. I, I love the way he shot up the defense. I love the way the automatic. He needs to be looking. playing left wing after what he was doing last night. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah. When just, he all of a sudden he popped up, I was like, "Is this Gerard Piquet or is it Harry Maguire?" Like yeah. bombing down. Like, so there's some real positives, like Daniel James. You know, really, I I think he's Daniel James has been such a highlight of this season, and you know, in in a in a proper squad, in a squad where there's real depth. Daniel James is an exciting winger who you bring on with 20 minutes to go. He's not given that amount of minutes. And actually, to be honest, I'm not even criticising him. I'm not saying that he is overexposed because I think he's, he's responded so well to the challenge. I just worry about the pressure he might accrue because of the expectation now because he's one of the very few outfield players consistently performing. But yeah, United, I think what I love about performances like this or games like this is they just, you know, they just give people a sense of realism. Like, this is where we are. Let's rebuild. Let's be patient. I think the one thing that might make United fans slightly embittered is seeing how well Lampard is doing at Chelsea. Because although Chelsea are conceding goals, you can see a direction there with Chelsea. I think with Chelsea, if you see if you look at that team, you think, well, if you get the defensive structure sorted out and stop shipping goals, you've got something exciting happening there. I mean it's already fairly exciting to be honest. I mean that's that could be that could be anyway, said for a lot of It could, it could, but with Chelsea the, the problems are easily remediable I think more easily remediable than I mean even say Arsenal or you know Arsenal have got I think almost like a bit of a revolving door there and the one thing I have about Arsenal the one fear I would say one sort of slight criticism is that midfield of Grandozzi, um Torreira and Chaka it should be better like it should you know you look at it like you know I me mean? as in it, it, you look at it and you're like Grandozzi, no criticism I'm not going to criticise him. Um, he's where he should be at this point. Torreira, bright start, it seems, but slightly regressed for whatever reason, maybe injury or maybe not Maybe not a dynamic with the other midfielders. And then Chaka, again, we've discussed the Chaka issue. I, and it's not even a criticism of Chaka, actually. I really feel like that blend of midfielders is not quite right. And, you know, I, I'm not going to, it's not even about a Ramsey, but a type of like a Gundogan type player. You know, this player that really links. I think Granit Xhaka 
how do I say this? He doesn't really look comfortable in any role that he plays in in a number of positions in the midfield. So he doesn't really look that comfortable at all under pressure in like the deep number six role, mm. playing the ball around. The problem was that under the latter stages of Arsene Wenger's tenure, I like using football words like tenure. It's such a great, it's such a great word. You tenure. only really use that in a football sense, doesn't it? There's a few like, words of that, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. like... Uh, Circumspect. Oh. That's another one. I've never used that in a context other than football. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we should do a only used in football glossary. Do you know what? There's actually... There's a, there's a mini pod in that. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, scratchy. That was like one for the ASMR fans. <laughs> Maybe we should do an ASMR football podcast. <laughs> the Stadio the Stadio ASMR cast where it's like welcome to the Stadio podcast <laughs> I've completely lost my trail of thought there oh right yeah Xhaka yeah. so basically he's he's a kind of midfielder that you can play I think in games where you know you're going to have all of the ball in the opposition half mm. right yeah but as soon as he gets turned or he gets pressured that's where he really struggles because He's not super quick at moving the ball. He's not super quick on the ball. And he's not super quick at all, actually. He's not massively athletic. When he moved to Arsenal, he was through the latter stages of Arsene Wenger's tenure. So much of Arsenal's play was run through him, mm. you know, like his distribution of the ball. And now the the league has just evolved. And I think that even though he's just been made captain, I can't see him being in Arsenal's first choice eleven. Well, Come can like I be honest with you, this is why I will never, I'll go to my grave bitter about the fact that Bernardo Silva did not have more competition for a signature. I'm so bitter about that. Like that was so clearly somebody who was going to basically run his position for the next 10 years. You know, when Ozil came on the market and Madrid signed him, was it, Ver, where did he come from, Verda? Verda Bremen, yeah. From Verda. And Mourinho said, this guy could be Madrid's number, t- number 10 for the next 10 years if he wanted it. And it was like that, like you saw Ozil, you're like, he is so clearly going to be that guy for 10 years for Germany and for whoever he wants to be, whether it's Madrid or whatever team he plays for. And I saw the same with Bernardo, like that ability to play as, if you put like a guy like that, an eight like that, alongside Guendouzi and Torreira, Arsenal would be, it would solve a thousand problems. Like, Uh, See, I I actually disagree there because, because I think that you saw an element of that last night where, there is real quality in that Arsenal side. When I mentioned like the quality thing on, on Twitter for mm. both sides, I include the coaching in that. The quality of a side is more than just the players on the pitch. It's how they're coached. Yeah. You know, you look at the Norwich goal against Man City a few weeks ago. Unreal. Unbelievable because they're players who have limitations, but they're coached in a way and it inc- improves the, the overall quality. So Bios is someone who's been pretty lauded this season already for having quality on the ball. But as soon as he came on, Arsenal just looked way more exposed. And the game just became way more open as soon as he came on. You it's know? never a good sign when a coach is making players worse. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I hate to say it, but when you look at a, in a positive sense, you look at Lampard and you can see the improvement. I mean, they were already good players, but particularly you know, Tammy Abraham, for example, like, that you can see the improvement. And Emery, and I, I've defended Emery before because of his track record, primarily. But there just seems to be a regression and it seems quite dramatic, actually. Even even like from six months ago to now, if he'd said to me six months ago, Emery has a plan, I'd be like, well, yeah, everyone's got a plan, but is the plan, he's got a plan, but is it effective? Yeah, I think, I think the big question marks, there are a big, there is a big question mark over him, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know who's happiest about this? I keep mentioning Chelsea, but Chelsea, because you know what? Chelsea don't care how they look to the outside. They get rid. Like if Chelsea aren't happy, like with Sarri, everyone's like, oh my goodness, it's so terrible for football. Sarri, you know, won a Europa League and is 
And they're like, nah, he's been him off, sack him off. I haven't seen an unhappy Chelsea fan yet. Not yeah, really, not really. Also, that was a smart move though. And it's, you know, I think that they binned off their old philosophy completely, which was just signing massive players on massive money. Can I be honest with you? We're going to look back on that 10 year period and be like, how the hell did with all those other clubs that good, did Chelsea win two league titles? They just won them under the radar. Like I was looking back at Eden Hazard's career and thinking, this dude just came into the Premier League and ran it. Mm. He ran it and then bossed, he bossed it. He, he bossed it and left out and two Premier League titles. When everyone else was in transition and rebuilding, everyone else was like telling their club, you know, their fans about, oh, we're in a period of transition five years from now. And Chelsea just came in and just slightly won two titles. And now Conte's gone to Inter and is running things, which I'm very happy about, actually. He's having a lovely time. I love how Conte does that. I think he's the dude, like, there's very few managers in world football could go into a club like United, actually, and just be like, I'm going to sort this. Mm. He's one of the few that could actually... You reckon? Yeah, I think he could. I think he's, that, I think he's a magician, actually. Actually, on Manchester United, you're not getting away with this. We've go got some it. questions. Oh, go on. Why would I want to get away with it? Listen, who's, uh, who's saying that? Danny who's... Castagno. <laughs> I saw that tweet. Uh, should Twanzebe <laughs> be starting at centre-back? Should United's midfield be McTominay, Fred and Pogba, or can Pogba do more damage from the deep-lying midfielder role with Andreas as attacking mid? And there's a follow-up saying, I just want to see what you guys will say since Musa loves to dodge the United questions. Oh, someone's <laughs> fired, some, he's fired shots. <laughs> People are firing shots. Listen, you came with the king. You came with the king. Whoa, are you referring to yourself as the king? In the third person, if that makes it better. Good grief. <laughs> yeah, delicious. Wow. Delicious. A few, few good reviews on our, on iTunes, and this is what it's it does like, to you. Just, the, the, the elixir of power. Can we, can we stop bigging up his laugh on the iTunes reviews, please? You <laughs> see what it's done to him. Oh, actually, on that tip, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Please, it yeah. really helps us. Exactly. No, okay, so in all seriousness, um, I think that Pogba is being played there because it's the best way that Solskjaer can deploy him. Solskjaer has obviously thought, I know that you're better forward creatively, but with Matic really just underperforming dramatically, with Fellaini having been sold without any depth, with Fred looking abject, and even worse with each passing month, Pogba McTominay is the access that I can trust there. It's just the best available solution. Fred, for whatever reason, is not performing there. You can't trust Andres Pereira to hold a midfield. I think that the amount of goals United would ship if Pogba and Tomine were not there would be brutal. So I think that Solskjaer's gone with safety first. He doesn't have a Bruno Fernandes. He doesn't have anyone like that ahead of them. Um, so it's the best available fit, unfortunately. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Unfortunately, yeah. So there we go. I answered the United question. I've got another one for you. Go, go for it. Oh, Tuanzebe, centre-back. Yes, eventually. Yes. You reckon? I think eventually. I think Maguire, Tuanzebe, that's compelling, actually. Lindelof. How tall is he, though? I'm not exactly sure. No place that will know. Okay, he's 185. Huh. Reasonable height. For those of you who aren't metric fans, that's six foot one. Good height. Good sturdy height. Wish I was six foot one. You're not centre-back. I would have bust things in midfield if I was six foot one. As opposed to being amazing number eight slash ten. Yeah, to Enzo B, he's got the goods. So what was the next question? Uh, The other one, you're going to love this one. This is from at DJ Menace UK. (laughs) Great name. How much further can Man United fall? Richard can on Twitter. I think his Twitter handle is at Rich Red Voices. They've got a great podcast, actually. Red Voices podcast, Manchester United podcast. He says he thinks United get relegated this year. and. I don't think they will be relegated. Sorry, but I what? Can, he, he, he thinks that. He thinks that. Um, That's... 
I think in terms of how far they can fall, I think United can fall to 10th, 12th. I think they can fall there. So the people, and like Rich is a guy that watches a lot of United. So that's how far some seasoned observers think United can fall. I think they can fall between 10th and 12th because I think they have too much quality to fall much further. Um, but they're going to have some embarrassing losses before the season's out. So yeah, between 10th and 12th, I think is how far they could fall. That's my, that's my answer. Okay. But, that, that, but, that's, but that's the extent. I mean, these are people that watch United regularly. And I think the thing with United is it's the goals, actually. United are creating actually a reasonable number of chances, but the conversion is absolutely appalling. The conversion rate's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to go after someone in January, aren't they? I think they'll have to. If United had a season goal scorer in that team, you'd see a huge uptick. You really would. We've never quite got over the Zlatan complex of having a player who scores 25 goals a season and covers a multitude of sins. That's what Arsenal are rolling with at the moment. Arsenal's game plan is just ride it out and let Aubameyang sort it. And what was that tweet you, you showed me? If um, Aubameyang wasn't there, he'd be managing, Emery would be managing Rayo Vallecano. Oh, yeah. And I think, <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at that. That's, that's quite funny to me. Yeah, it's funny. It was a funny hey, I'd love to see Emery at Vallecano. But Aubameyang is just, he's, he's, a, he's a brutal. Should have been named captain, I think. Uh, you got another Man United one from Ayo Lei. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right because he writes a lot of questions. Hmm. Probably not. Because can I'm I make an apology for mispronunciation? I said. Oh yeah, you do. I because said, I, I said, every time you said this, I, I said kind of Kelta pulled Vigo. a face at you. I said Celta Vigo several times in the podcast, and I saw a friend recently. He said it is Celta. Yeah. I saw him, and he said it in public, and it was. He said it. It was very sort of Inigo Montoya, like if you say this again, it's like when people used to say Okwanga. They used to spell my surname Okwanga on my letters. And I'm like, don't call me Okwanga. I think that's it. So my apologies. Sincere Celta, apologies. not Kelta. Migraine, not, not migraine. I will not do it again. Well, no, I mean, no, migraine's different. We can have migraine, migraine. That's different. But <laughs> let, let, let's keep it moving. Let's, let's okay, keep- so Ayole says, has the change of shape by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to 4-2-3-1 affected Rashford the most? Because when United play 4-3-3, he still looked decent to good, despite his limitations. Yes, it has, because if you have a 4-2-3-1, it pushes the people further back that he would link with normally in the three. And then it makes Jesse Lingard the primary conduit as a playmaker. And Lingard is not really making anything at the Mm. moment. He's not making play. He's not linking. He's not anything. So yeah, that absolutely is a great analysis, I think. Great analysis. There's a really interesting one here from Jazz Tahara. Ah, Jazz, shout out. If you could pick any player or two players to have completed... An incomplete squad, United or Arsenal, which player and which season slash squad would you have put them in and why? And he wrote, for example, I would have added Nesta to the 2002 Arsenal team. Oh, wow. I'm a bit of a football fatalist, actually. I think that we had the best of all possible teams. I look at 2011 when we lost to Barcelona. There's not a team in the universe that would have beaten that Barcelona team. The only teams I would have wanted to improve would have been 09 and 11. In both those Champions League finals when we lost, we were an eternity away from Barcelona. You couldn't have added anybody to those teams and a better result come out of it. I'm amazed they were even that close, both ties. So as strange as it sounds, I think we maximised our quality. In fact, you could argue United overachieved with some of the squads you put out to the point where it wasn't even about personnel anymore specifically. Yeah, those late Fergie years were unbelievable. Austerity years in terms of investment in midfield. Well, relatively speaking, austerity. I mean, it's, yeah. It's I'm going to put Lionel Messi in the 2010-2011 Arsenal side and Arsenal would have won the treble. 
My goodness, yeah. Because he wouldn't have been playing against us that year. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, too yeah. easy, that, though. <laughs> Do you know why I would put Rio Ferdinand in the 2008-2009 uh, Arsenal side, actually? That's, I love that. It's a great question. But the problem is I was just so happy with those United teams as they were because every, se- every season I just saw them outperforming. Mm. If, we'd, if Arsenal had had Rio Ferdinand instead of William Gallas, and the number 10 shirt would have been worn by someone who should have been wearing the number 10 shirt as opposed to a centre-back. Do you know I've got it? I've got it, actually. Here's my answer. Uh-oh. Carlos Tevez for one more season. Ooh, at United. Yeah. One, more se- one more season, because that would have interrupted the momentum of City and would have won a league title a year earlier. We could have got Guardiola. We could have. <laughs> Literally, losing that league title to City with Aguero's goal set United back at a crucial point because if we'd won that league title, Ferguson would have gone a year earlier and we could have got Guardiola. Like he was the front runner. So was that famous quote from the Pep Confidential book, wasn't it? When he was sat watching a game at Old Trafford and said, I'd like to manage here one day. Yeah. And United just blew it. But anyway, that's, that's history. Now he's down the road. He is indeed. This is a good one. We probably should have taken a break, but that's fine. It's anyway, we're, go- we're, going, we're going long. Uh, we have one from our good friend, Mash St. Paddy, which yes. just said, what is John Barnes really trying to achieve? Ah. Are we going there? Yeah, we're going there. If I'm honest, I think he's trying to be a contrarian talking head. And the reason I say that is because simply this. Every time John Barnes goes on, on TV, radio, and talks about structures need to be put in place, he's not doing the work. You cannot point to a public anti-racism project in the last few years, a prominent one, that John Barnes has done. He hasn't used the media platform he's got the reputation he's got to build something out. And to me, that suggests that he's not actually interested fundamentally in structural change because if he was, he'd be doing the work. And I say that because you look at Lilian Turam, Turam is doing the work. Turam is in refugee camps. He's bringing refugees to games free of charge. He's speaking out against structural racism in France. He's really having a discourse, right? He's leading something. He's leading a movement. And what's Barnes doing? And I'm like, hmm. And if I look at the positions Barnes taking, let me be brutally honest, I did a... Um, a conversation with John Barnes involving Barnes once on BBC. It was like BBC London, I think, the radio. And we were all on the line. And John Barnes, completely unprompted, went in defence of Luis Suarez. It was a conversation about racism in football. I thought to myself, it's really strange. The positions that John Barnes takes are uncannily consistent. They seem to revolve around a, a, a defence of personal friends or acquaintances or clubs. So the Peter Beersley thing was the same. He was far more critical of Jadon Sancho for raising the issue of unsatisfactory workplace conditions being you know, booed by racers in a stadium than he was on Peter Beardsley for affecting the potential development of, of players. Peter Beardsley in charge of young players who were probably intimidated by his legend and maybe scared to come forward about his racism. And my thing was like, that pattern with John Barnes is actually very status quo. He's trying to be a kind of counterculture, but actually he's reaffirming structures that he himself fought so hard to bring down. And can I be honest with you? I mean, really brutal here. But I look at what John Barnes did as a footballer and all the incredible um, steps he made forward. But I look now at his legacy and think, what did you build beyond your own legend? You, in, you basically like inspired generations of people, but your behaviour subsequently leads me to think that you did not advance the cause retrospective as much as we thought you did at the time. It was like, there's some people that come through and they're like pro-black at all levels of society. You're not going to get like John Barnes recently coming out with a comment about black elites wanting to be TV broadcasters, radio broadcasters. I'm like, wait a minute, like Martin Luther King wouldn't talk like this. Ali wouldn't talk like this. If we're going to talk about great civil rights leaders 
from the worlds of sport and beyond. They'd never denigrate other black people like you just have. They'd never make the work hard for other black people like you have. They'd never do that. I'm very wary of criticising John Barnes for his stance on racism, being a straight white dude who, you know, has a podcast. But I cannot really understand the thinking that if Jaden Sancho is really that concerned about racism, that he should give up football. Can I give an example that basically like trumps everything but John Barnes has said? LeBron James. Yeah. Donald Sterling. He owns the Clippers. He comes out with some racist statement. What does LeBron do? Get him out of there. Got to get him out of there. Straight away. Bang. Sterling was out of the league before his, the door stopped spinning. Like, yep. And that was LeBron coming in and showing leadership. LeBron James experiencing racism in basketball. What does he do? He moves to Cleveland, brings millions in investment. That's leadership. That's not abdicating responsibility. To go and, and John Barnes, he could never say that about LeBron. He couldn't. He couldn't, and maybe he's not aware of what LeBron's doing, but he could never say, and LeBron is a shareholder in Liverpool. There's a man, a leading athlete, who's experienced severe racism throughout his career, and some of it very veiled with LeBron. LeBron has been very veiled about, you know, the macho, the King Kong. LeBron sees all of that. The way that LeBron is portrayed as a gorilla, like a six-foot-eight gorilla, you can't relate to LeBron like you can relate to Steph Curry, the dark-skinned aggressor. LeBron has taken all of that, and he's never once been... I'm quitting basketball. He's been like, yeah, basketball, like these sports have racism, but I'm going to stay here and create a legacy and maintain. And it's not even about LeBron going doing community work. It's about him being a figurehead and not ducking the issue. And what Jaden Sancho said is not materially different from anything LeBron has ever said about racism in, in basketball or in the wider sport, the wider society. So I don't know where Barnes is getting off with his comments. I don't know where he's getting off with them. I don't really see the thinking behind going after a young black player who's moved abroad and is really really progressing his career really well I don't really I don't really get that the only thing the only thing and this again might be you know it's really I'm very very aware that this is involving a lot of stuff that I've never had to experience in my life but the only thing that I can kind of draw from it is almost that there's a jealousy aspect there that there's a 19 year old black kid from South London who's complaining about racism in football whilst earning more money than Barnes ever did in his career. Right. That's the only... Because Barnes of- was a fully... Barnes was, astonishing, was the best ringer in the world. Yeah. For years. For years and should have earned. You know, Barnes, unfortunately, was too early and let's give him his credit, was an astonishing footballer. Unbelievable. But John Barnes would walk into any team now. He would materially improve yeah. any, any team. Unfortunately, it's not even saying much because this is not an era of great teams. If we look back... John Barnes would have improved Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. He would have improved them. He was that good. And people have to know that. And I say that with all the respect for who he was as a player. There's no question there. And he must look at Sancho, who is getting all these plaudits um, at Dortmund in an easier league to play in, a less competitive league than what Barnes had to experience. And he must look at him and, you know, that, that comment that he made about Oh, he's got a nice new contract. I was like, that's nasty. Oh, he can't be, can't be that bad. He's got a nice new contract. Like I say, look what John Barnes moved for. He moved for a lot of money to Liverpool from Watford. If you said to Barnes, you've got a nice new contract at Liverpool, so the racism can't be that bad. If you'd said that to young John Barnes at that time in hell, the look he would have given you could have melted stone. Mm-hmm. If you'd said to John Barnes, oh, it's okay now, the racism's not bad, the bananas are fine because we're paying you good money. He would have been resentful of that, and rightly so. Damn right. And the problem that Barnes now has, and this is his real problem, I think, fundamentally, 
and this is someone that, you know, he's impassioned about racism. He talks and he talks to someone that cares. Okay, let's assume that Barnes really is. Let's take him at his word. If Barnes is being sincere, and let's assume, let's be fair to him and say he is, who's going to work with him? Look how hard he has made it to build community with people of, of his, not as his generation, but other generations. You come out in public and you hammer people publicly who are taking abuse already. At this point in history, with the far right rising, where people are being forced out of countries, when Demba Barr is coming out and saying, that's why I didn't move to Italy, because the racism was that bad. At this point in history, to make those comments about black players, who's going to want to work with him? That's his I tragedy. That's a bad look. That's his tragedy. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a terrible look. So yeah, that's, that's what I, I think that's Barr's trying to achieve. Is I think he's trying to get more profile, visibility for his stance, his standpoint, but what he's doing is not about the movement. It's about John Barnes. Should take a break. Yeah. Back from the break. Um, it's first day of Black History Month. Yeah, awesome. Because we play out each week on a different tune. Yeah. Should we just play out on black music this month? I mean, to be honest, we kind of play a lot of black music. Yeah, we kind of do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> no so, real change. Yeah, exactly. No, we're going to play it on an absolute banger today, by the way. We are, we are. The Detroit anthem. It's a beast. Shout out time. Shout out time to Leon fans. So Leon will play against Nant. The game gets shifted to suit Chinese viewing audience. And so the, the Leon fans are this TIFO, the optors of the TIFO for free Tibet. Which I think was absolutely brilliant. I like, did it on the halfway line, so you could. It was right bang in the middle of the camera. They couldn't um, move it. That's genius. That's like very clever. Sometimes you see football fans taking initiative where clubs don't or can't, and that's that's a great example. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my shout out this week is for Sydney Larue. Ah. Also, I need to shout out Faith, who is at the first pancake on Twitter. She got in touch with us saying that she listened to the podcast via Ask Blog, because you were on the Ask Blog Ask cast last week. That's right, yeah, the great Andrew Mangan. So it looks like we've got a load of new gooners listening to the show. Oh, lovely. So, Oh, welcome, welcome. Thank you. you can, they can share in my pain and misery. <laughs> <laughs> you were quite nice about Arsenal's performance, though. You are quite nice about them. Uh, you know, I'm a half-full kind of guy. Yeah, fair enough. So Faith mentioned that she went back and listened through to the earlier podcast. Yeah. And I think it was the first one where we were talking about period poverty and effects on periods on That's right, performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she said, I wondered if you saw this tweet. And I hadn't actually, but I went back and watched the highlights of it as well. So Sydney LaRue gave birth to her second child three months and one day ago. And she made her return this weekend. Three months and one day. Yeah. That is whew. absolutely amazing. That's a baller. That is gangster. That is <laughs> just the, the physical. To get your fitness back to a level, mm. your match fitness back, it's wild. So yeah, shouts to Sydney. That's a big... That's I just a, like, I mean, I don't know how it, any woman does it, to be honest. I mean, to get to even to, to get back to a level of that, I, I can't. Yeah, no words. That's, that's, it's not, I can see your moose's eyes are just darting around. It's incomprehensible. It. It's like yeah, there's no, there's no like that, 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 that gif where the, all the, the equations are going from yeah, that woman's face. Beautiful. Yeah, the woman's face. And she's like, how, how, what? How sway? <laughs> um, because we were recording a day late, we're not going to go through all the leagues like we usually do because no, you've no. probably heard them covered by other outlets. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what do you want? Where do you want to go? Um, Maybe weird weekend in the Bundesliga where no home side won at all. What the hell was? Okay, look. So Schalke, yeah, gave Paderborn an absolute cleansing last week, which should have been a hint of what they were going to do later. And they went and just, I mean, went to town on Leipzig. They kind of bullied bullied them. I mean, wow. Bit. Yeah, they went to town on them, and you know, 
Wagner doing his thing. Um, and Paderborn again with a good, good effort against Bayern. Mm. Good effort, losing 3-2. I mean, Paderborn are just, they're like almost the Sheffield United, the Bundesliga. They're just so well coached. They don't have the personnel. Does that make sense? They're so well coached. Uh, Jamilu Collins' goal, if you haven't seen it, the second one for Paderborn. Oh, the late one. Good Lord. Player. They're going to be a lot of players plucked from that squad when they go down, I think. I think, I think one or two players from Paderborn are going to stay up, I think. Dortmund threw away another lead. Went behind again. They've, they've gone behind. They've gone backwards, Dortmund, actually, slightly. They've gone backwards a little bit, sadly. And I mean, to be fair, they're only three points off top, though. Yeah, but, they, I mean? but they've, got that, they've got that look. Like, Lewandowski is mean this year. He started this season in mean mode. He's coming for blood this year, and he's getting it, unfortunately. Big story, though, is, is definitely Schalke beating RB. Yeah, that's the big one. Definitely. That's, I see David Wagner... Some, I mean, he was always quite positive at Huddersfield anyway, but despite, especially big. when, yeah. But it's funny and because Schalke's obviously club, club. Schalke have had like some you know, very bad news off the pitch with Clemens Turney as the chairman. So for him to come in and really give them that, you know, to redefine their season in a really positive way and, and remind people what Schalke are about, what they mm. stand for, positive front foot, flowing attacking football. That's, that's the Schalke that we, we know and respect. And even love from time to time so yeah it's nice to see them having a bit of a turnaround uh, Freiburg third I didn't see that result uh, they beat Fortuna just still 2-1 away that's a good win actually that's a good win the top of the Bundesliga is, is very spicy Bayern are top RB second Freiburg third Schalke fourth Mönchengladbach fifth Leverkusen sixth Wolfsburg seventh Dortmund eighth Eintracht ninth Hertha tenth Wolfsburg are funny because they've had good results against big teams and struggled against Smaller ones. I mean, actually, the highlight is still the 3-0 against Hertha. Hertha then won 4-0 against Cologne. Although Cologne have been poor this year. Yeah, I mean, they're second to bottom. Yeah, they're, so. not, they're not long for this league, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what about your beloved Wolfsburg Frauen? 8-1 against Jena. Alexander Pop getting her two goals, ending a sort of mini drought. You can go back to Stanina now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I think that she maybe slightly, slightly struggles from playing slightly different positions for club and country. Penel Harder with a hat-trick. But shout out actually over the course of the season to Eva Payor, who has been coming up with some really important goals in crucial games. And you might argue that she has been a key difference for Wolfsburg. I mean, if you look at the goals she scored, you know those goals where people set the tone, like the first goal in a deluge or the crucial goal in a 3-0 like, um, against Potsdam, which is a game we expect to be more competitive, although Potsdam have been pretty disappointing this year. Yeah, Hoffenheim actually, I think, second now. Um, so yeah, it's the league is shaping up interestingly, but Wolfsburg look like they're really coming back with a vengeance this year and have obviously got their eyes trained on the Champions League. I mean, there's no, there'll be no quarter given. Um, Let's give across the women's actually. The, um, yeah, in women's Super League. Super League, yeah. There was tw- nearly 25,000 at West Ham for West Ham against Spurs. Shout out to Spurs this year. Yeah, Spurs won 2-0 at the London Stadium. That was the second biggest crowd ever in women's Super League They history. really impressed me against Chelsea Spurs. Like the way they contained that like that you know demoralizing first day defeat would have been really bad and you know Chelsea have got goals and then we saw they just won 4-0 at the weekend against I think Bristol City yep. um Guru Wrighton was I think the most impressive player in the the first game against Spurs and continuing that fine form scoring twice uh yeah Spurs have they've shown us something this year they really have they have Arsenal fans if you want something to be positive they're balling out uh they won 4-0 on the weekend at home to Brighton fifth Medima scored again Daniela van der Donk scored. Jordan Nobbs scored. Good to see her back. 
uh, after that horrible injury that caught uh, Mr. World Cup. Kim Little got the first one. But. Brighton are a team you have to unpick as well. They're like, it was a sound defeat for Brighton, but it's you've got to be on your game to dismantle them because they've got actually quite sophisticated defensive systems. I mean, unfortunately, they haven't won that yet this season, so they're, they're slow to start. But um, yeah, Arsenal, 100% record, as have Man City. And those two and Chelsea, the only three sides in the league not to have lost yet. And it was the Champions League draw as well this week. Wolfsburg have 20. Arsenal have Slavia Prague, which is a good one because they could have gone up against Barcelona, PSG, Lyon, Man City. I'm not sure. Actually, I keep saying I'm not sure if they could have faced Man City. But anyway, yeah, Man City have Atleti. Oh, that is a spice. <laughs> yeah. That That is a... <laughs> we have to see. When, when's that on? It, they are... All on the 16th of October, first legs. Second legs on the 30th, two weeks after. So, yeah. What a time to be alive. Um, where else do you want to go? Is there anywhere else you want to go before we go? Look, I quick- said go quite a lot then. Do you want to go anywhere else before we go? Before you go, go? We have to have a quick shout to La Liga, which is just doing the Lord's work at this yeah. point. Severe Sociedad. I mean, that was the gunslingers. <laughs> gunslingers. Banega um, against uh, Odegaard. And they came oh, out. past that Odegaard. <laughs> <laughs> it took about eight players. Do you know what it reminded me of? Haji. Oh, that's a good shout. I think it was the game where Romania played Argentina, World Cup 94. It was a two-all draw, and I think Radachoya scored twice. And one of those goals, I think, was Haji playing a pass to Radachoya, where he basically just had to like run onto it for it to go in. And that is what I'm seeing from Odegaard. I know that's high praise, but I think he is, as a playmaker, he has a similar, a similar vision, actually. Mm. Very special player. I really like this Sociedad side. Love them. And Yanazai is happy now. Yanazai's actually found a team where he can express himself, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Barcelona back to winning ways. Yeah, you don't expect them to win that, though. You would, you would, really. Uh, Madrid derby was probably more disappointing than Manchester United Arsenal, bringing it full circle before we get out of here. It was, it was. And then again, Atleti, he can't unlock the attack. And I, I hate to say it, but that, and they're not a catfish out there, but the false dawn of how he could mobilise the attack and how Joao Felix would be able to liberate Thomas Lamar. It can still happen, but it's maybe... I mean, Lamar didn't start the game. He came on. And, yeah. and to be fair to Real Madrid, though, I think that was the first time they'd conceded a shot on target in about four games. Yeah, I think it's that we... It will take a little longer for the attack to gel, I think. But that's fine. I think they have the players still to make it. Yeah, and uh, Atleti were missing Morata as well, who was suspended from the game before. So, huge loss, huge yeah. miss, yeah. And, you know, Hazard taking his time to sell it. I mean, he doesn't look fit yet. He doesn't look fit, fit at all. I mean... And it's hard for an unfit winger to get in to gel with a yeah. team which has not got a good structure to it anyway. Yeah. yeah, but I think eventually that front three of Hazard, Benzema and Bale is... You can see promising signs there, actually. Yeah, for sure. I think the chemistry between Hazard and Bale is, they seem to get on, which I think is good. Just for Bale to have a mate. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. it was also a little bit lacking in severe shithousery as well. It didn't really fully explode, which which was a shame. This isn't the nasty Atleti of the old days. Well, I mean, you still got Diego Costa and Sergio Ramos standing very close to each other for 90 minutes. Yeah, but Godin set the tone. Godin was the master spirit, I think. About yeah, it. really, yeah. he was. He infused it with the energies. Yeah, it's a shame now Godin's left. Yeah. The dark arts. He was the Saruman. That's what he was. <laughs> and uh, Gabby as well. Having Gabby in there was always great. You know, I love a player like that. Gabby's the kind of dude that can play Sunday League to the age of sixty-five and just be ridiculous. I hope he does run it. 
probably one of the most underrated players in the last 20 years, I think, Gabby. Absolutely. Hey, that's a great, that's a great sort of mini pod, actually. Most underrated. Yeah. Don't anyone steal that. The problem is it's all going to be DMs though, isn't it? It's going to be DMs and Andre Santos. And Pedro. Pedro's not underrated. He's still a bit, he's still a little bit underrated. It's the Firmino complex. Taking over from Makaleli, isn't he? As the most underrated player who's actually rated, yeah. who everyone rates. Yeah. Actually, before we go, just before we go, shout out to Leicester. Let's shout out Leicester. Really? Like, we did tip him to be quite good this season though, didn't we? We did. We did. We do know something about football, don't we? I don't know anything. We know something, Jon Snow. Let's get out of here. I know, absolutely nada. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Let's play out on that banger. Uh, yeah, we're playing out on Galaxy to Galaxy timeline uh, because, you know, both Man United and Arsenal are on some kind of timeline. We just don't know what it is. Good segue. Hey, good segue, huh? Nice link. If you do listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, can you please give us a rating and a review because it actually surprisingly helps us move up even though we have quite a small listenership at the moment. We're growing. Yeah, absolutely. Follow us on Twitter at Stadio. Follow us on Instagram at Stadio Football and we'll be back next week. You will indeed. Crack this one. Turn it up. Woo! Ha 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 ha.